Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. On March 12, 1990, activists with disabilities pulled themselves up the 83 stone steps at the Capitol building to demand equal rights. The Capitol crawl symbolized the barriers confronting people with disabilities and helped propel the Americans with Disabilities Act into law. The bill passed on July 26, 1990. On the occasion of the 25th anniversary, which was uh, last month, we are going to review the history and look to the future today. There is much remaining to be done. For example, one in five Americans has a disability. Less than 20% of people with disabilities were employed in 2014 compared to 68% of those without disabilities. And 31% of people with disabilities live below the poverty line. We're going to be talking about this with uh, several representatives from the Center for Persons with Disabilities at Utah State University. We welcome back to the program Sachin Pabathran, who is currently uh, Program Director for the Utah Assistive Technology Program and the Disability Policy Analyst for the CPD. Uh, He's uh, also been appointed by President Obama to the U.S. Access Board, where he currently serves as Chairman of that agency. Sachin Pabathran, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And you are from, remind me, you're from uh, born in India, raised in Dubai? Yep, that's right. And then came to uh, Utah State University in your late teens and and got your education here. Yeah, I graduated from Utah State. I've been working at Utah State since 2000. And we uh, welcome in as well Gordon Richens, who serves as consumer liaison for the Center for Persons with Disabilities at USU's, working to improve relationships between projects, programs, and personnel with persons with disabilities and organizations that serve people with disabilities. In the past, he has served as board president for Options for Independence. He's involved in many other organizations. Uh, Gordon Richens, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you being uh, with us. Also, I notice you're uh, on the board or have been on the board for the... uh, Rural Transportation Association. I want to talk about that as we go along as well. Well, on a statewide level, I, I'm a board member of ERSTA, which is an acronym, acronym that stands for Utah Specialized Transportation Association. And it's made up of members across the state of Utah. All right. That focus on transportation. Let me start with Sachin Pavitron. Uh you uh, you wrote an op-ed piece recently in the Salt Lake Tribune talking about the ADA. I had not known of uh, Senator Hatch's role in this, so give him his his due here, along with uh, former Senators Harkin and, and Dole, I believe, uh, major major movers in in this. I, I wonder if you could uh, tell me a little bit about your biography. What what was life like? You describe yourself as there's the ADA generation. These are people who have grown up with the ADA. You're not part of that generation. You. I imagine had some struggles uh, before the act was passed. I wonder if you could talk about uh, your your life in in Dubai. Well, you know, growing up in Dubai, there was you know there was no policies or laws that really affected uh, people with disabilities. That there was nothing that you know really tailored for people with disabilities. So, my education took place because my all, through K through 12, my mom read all my textbooks for me. There was no accommodations available. There was no equal access available. So that's how I got through K through 12. I went to regular, you know, mainstream education, but there was nothing specialized available. Being blind, I didn't have any of my textbooks in a format that I could read. So, without the help of my parents, there's no no way I would have finished K through 12. 
So I, I finished K through 12. You know, thankfully, my parents helped me out in that process, and then it came to Utah State. Uh, and uh, what, what was were things better in the U.S. for people with disabilities, or what, uh, or, or not? It was significantly better than what I had because because I had nothing. Mm, okay. <laughs> so yeah. you know, definitely a, a huge step forward. But soon I came to find out there are th- there are a lot of other struggles that people with disabilities were facing, in spite of the ADA being passed. You know, one of the biggest challenges being attitudinal people not knowing whether people with disabilities are able to really contribute in society to the community or be, uh, you know, employable. You write in your op-ed piece, so this struck me, you, you uh, say that, uh, let me uh, pull this up here, while prejudice and fear underscore most forms of discrimination, ironically misguided sympathy drives discrimination against disabled persons. What do you mean there? When you when when a lot of times when you interact with folks, uh, the first reaction you get is they they are very amazed that as a blind person or as a person with a disability, you function uh, in a normal way that you know you know how you ex- how most people in society function. Secondly, when you try to work with some, uh, someone you know, who hasn't interacted with someone with a disability, the reactions usually pity, they, you know, they feel sorry for you, so they feel like we need to throw them a bone. So let's, let's, let's do something for these, you know, sweet people. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I've, and I've, <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate to that, and I've probably felt that emotion. Yeah, so well. it's it, it's not it's not coming in a from a negative standpoint. It's coming lack of understanding of what people with disabilities are capable of doing, and what they can really bring to our community, and not understanding that they can be equal participants in you know in everything that the society has put forward. One of the extensions of that attitude, uh, I believe, is let's let's build separate schools let's that's been an impulse in the past let's you know the sort of benign segregation and in fact that continues uh, i'm reading from npr today uh, that the, the department of justice is investigating georgia public schools for segregating disabled uh, children from their non-disabled peers yeah there are states that still struggle with not mainstreaming most uh, students with disabilities. Now, you know, is there a value in some aspects of uh, education where, you know, people with disabilities require some specialized training, like blind students need specialized training in reading Braille and other techniques, but that doesn't mean they have to be separated or segregated into different, completely different from society. Hmm. Um, let me turn uh, back to Gordon Richens. Um one thing I understand is that the the, the label, how you address people with disabilities, is is important. Um, and this is uh, people the people first language. What if you talk about that? Well, the the pity comment, you know, where people uh, tend to pity you and you can't do this or you can't do that. Uh, I have pretty thick skin, so when somebody goes out of their way and helps me. Uh, you know, I'm always gracious to say thank you, even though I could have done it myself. You know, uh, that's common courtesy there. But in general, uh, 
my quality of life, I, as an individual with a physical disability, you know, I really owe to the hard work that went into putting the ADA in place and making it an actual law. Mm-hmm. So you're, you, you definitely benefit, you're saying. Tell me some ways. Tell me some ways that you benefit. Well, my, my quality of life, I'm a C4 quadriplegic, so I'm paralyzed from uh, the top of my shoulders down. I have a little bit of arm movement that allows me to operate in a power wheelchair. Other than that, uh, you know, I just have my demeanor and, you know, on the education I got here at USU, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, function very, very well in the community. There's times when I run into inaccessible uh, buildings, for example, Logan is a, a very old city, and a lot of the older buildings, you know, just haven't taken the initiative to welcome individuals with disabilities, you know, into their facilities. So I just go somewhere that has an automatic door, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because there's plenty of newer uh, uh, businesses, you know, that I can spend my uh, my money in or at, you know, and other, uh, you know, movie theaters are accessible, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, Things change over time, and all that adds to my quality of life and the quality of life of, you know, all the individuals with disability. Now you say that if, if someone treats you with pity, you're you know you're 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 you have some forbearance about that. But how would you what would you prefer? What's what's the preferred? How would you like people to treat you? Well, you know, um, I'd like for them just to ask, you know, because then I can, you know, well, thank you, I. You know, that's something I can't do, and I'd appreciate it, but, uh, no, that's fine. You know, I can do this on my own. Uh, other, You know, uh, other examples, uh, for example, I work, you know, and when I talk to somebody, uh, you know, that has that, that uh, perception or attitude, you know, they can't believe I actually work at Utah State University and, you know, in a professional-level job. You know, it just... It's just surprising to them. So the community has a long ways to go, but we've made we've made great uh, great progress since uh, you know the 1990 when the ADA came out. If you just join us, we're talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, it's, it's reached 25 years, and uh, much has been done. Much remains to be done. We're we're looking back and looking forward as well. And you just heard from Gordon Richens, who's consumer liaison for Center for Persons with Disabilities at USU. We're also talking with Sachin Pavathran, who is the program director of the Utah Assistive Technology Program, uh, the CPD, and uh, he is also on the U.S. Access Board. He's chairman of that uh, national agency. We bring in now uh, Judith Holt, who's director of the uh, Interdisciplinary Training Division at the Center for Persons with Disabilities and co-director of Utah Regional Leadership Education and Neurodevelopmental Disabilities. Uh, for the Department of Pediatrics School of Medicine at University of Utah Health Sciences Center. Holds several other titles. Uh, Dr. Holt, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. What's your, uh, as you reflect on the ADA, what are, what are your uh, thoughts? We've, we've passed the 25th anniversary now. It, uh, it happened in July. Well, um, I, I am probably the senior member on this panel so um, my reflections go back into uh, my graduate school programs in the 1970s and what 
I learned there and what life and experiences were often like for people with with disabilities in the 70s and, and, and 80s prior to the ADA. Um, I was in a doctoral program, and I had a couple of good friends um, who happened, uh, one, ha- one was blind and one had a visual impairment and also used a wheelchair. And we became friends over the course of several years, and to celebrate their birthdays, I offered to take them out to a restaurant because they loved to go out to eat. And I didn't think much about it. I was in my little cocoon where I never thought about accessibility very much. And I met them mostly at school, so I wasn't considering accessibility much there either. So we made, I made a reservation. We got to the restaurant. And um, I have never felt like I was kind of, oh, I don't know, kind of like a zoo. Um, everyone was just staring. Um, we couldn't get up the steps, so had to go through the kitchen door um, where the folks, the cooks and folks went through, make our way into the restaurant that way. When we were seated at a table, um, it was like this major production to rearrange to get one person with one wheelchair at a table. Um, and then um, when the waiter came, um, handed me um, the menu and looked at me and explained what the specials were and then said, do they want to eat like they weren't intelligent, articulate people sitting at the table, too. Um, I was so embarrassed for how they were treated. I was embarrassed. I felt bad because I hadn't considered the kind of barriers that people with disabilities routinely went through at that point in time. So for me, that was kind of a life-changing experience in beginning to understand that um, we want all of our, all members of society to have equal opportunities. But for people with disabilities, both attitudinally and legally, it's a very ch- it's a challenge and remains a challenge today, but not to the, not to the level it was then. Let me read uh, something from the CPD uh, website. This is cpdusu.org. On the occasion of the ADA, uh, the, put out the word and uh, people re- responded on what the ADA means to them. This is Aubrey Taylor, described as a self-advocate. Uh, she says, I always heard about the Americans with Disabilities Act and thought it was a cool thing. I was happy it was there for people who needed it, but that's far f- uh, as my feelings went. Cool, good for them. Things don't matter much to people until they become personal. Well, about 16 months ago, the ADA did become personal to me. When you lose your ability to walk, you realize just how much the little things become so much harder. The bumps in the sidewalk and the steps into the buildings and rooms and the tight corners that were once hardly noticed suddenly become giant walls between you and your previous lifestyle. These walls steal your independence, comfort, and dignity. Most people don't understand what it feels like to be five feet from your destination and completely incapable of reaching it. That's very, that's very powerful, uh, Dr. Holt. And that's, that's is, the experience. It is very powerful. Um, I think, um, and there's two pieces to me that are, that are really critical. We focus a lot, which we rightly need to, on the physical environment, on steps and stairs and access and getting curb cuts and sidewalks. And, and, and those are all really important things. And Gordon... Gordon alluded to that, and I think that's very, very critical. But it's also 
access to other programs, other services. It's being able to go to the doctor's office, uh, get into the office, get into the examining room, have an exam table that you can get on if you're a person who uses a chair, being able to get the same types of services that, that other folks have. So it's, it's physical, but it's also um, the services that, that have become more, ha- are becoming more accessible with the ADA. Let's take a break. When we come back, more on the Americans with Disabilities Act, which passed in July, was signed in July, July of uh, 1990, so it's uh, 25 years. We're looking back how it happened, we'll look at the uh, overall disability rights movement, um, and uh, we'll look forward. There are uh, uh, more horizons. For example, I've been reading uh, the, from this article, uh, one in five Americans has a disability, and less than 20% of people with disabilities were employed in 2014, compared to 68% of those without disabilities. 31% of people with disabilities live below the poverty line. Uh, we'll uh, talk more following a break, and you're welcome to join the conversation here. I'd love to hear your story, uh, perhaps the story of a family member how things have changed, or maybe they're the same, what the ADA has done for you and what the uh, what the horizons are for you. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, and you can reach us by email to upraccess at gmail.com. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Cafe Ibis, 52 Federal Avenue in historic downtown Logan. Open seven days a week, featuring triple-certified coffee, a seasonal organic ethnic deli, and espresso bar with culinary gifts. Ordering and location information is at cafeibis.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Shad, a.k.a. Shadrach Cabango, the host of Q. It's an intimate, provocative, and thoughtful take on culture. You'll hear conversations with legendary figures like Mavis Staples, as well as cultural pace-setters like producer and director Judd Apatow. We take on the full range of conversation from technology to taboo with tastemakers, noisemakers, and groundbreakers. We've got you covered. Get ready for Q, coming soon to Utah Public Radio. Tune in weekday afternoons at 1. Thanks for listening to Access Utime. Tom Williams. On March 12, 1990, activists with disabilities pulled themselves up the 83 stone steps at the Capitol building to demand equal rights. That Capitol crawl symbolized the barriers confronting people with disabilities and helped propel the Americans with Disabilities Act into law. The bill passed on July 26, 1990. We're celebrating the anniversary and we're uh, looking not only to the past but to the future. Uh, New Horizons. We have with us uh, several representatives from the Center for Persons with Disabilities at Utah State University. Sachin Pavathran is program director of the Utah Assistive Technology Program. He is chairman of the U.S. Access Board. That's a uh, federal board. Um, is appointed there by President Obama. Uh, Dr. Judith Holt is director of the Interdisciplinary Training Division at the Center for Persons with Disabilities. And Gordon Richens serves as consumer liaison for the Center for Persons with Disabilities at uh, USU. So, uh, Judith Holt, I that Capitol crawl that's <laughs> that's incredible. That's that's I'm sure it was high drama and good television and, and very effective. Uh, I don't remember it at all. I guess I, I I was, you know, sort of not focused on these issues like probably a lot of people. Um, a lot of people uh, were not focused on disability issues, but for the disability community, that was really a remarkable statement that people 
especially those with physical disabilities, could not access um, the the capital of our government. It was a very painful uh, lesson. And I think as, as we try and help people now, students especially, and understand that um, we didn't see people with disabilities in public as much in the 70s. It's kind of like they were invisible, and part of the pro- problem was there was very, very limited access to things, and people uh, with disabilities using chairs or people who are visually impaired or other types of disabilities were often not part of just regular public gatherings. Uh, they were often excluded from opportunities for um, education, higher education, um, and jobs remained and still remain today probably one of the biggest barriers we mm. have. I was watching a, a video, short video on Google on uh, on the ADA, and they interview uh, Senator Harkin, one of the, I think, the sponsors mm-hmm. of, of the ADA. He had a, a brother with, I think it was deaf, maybe? Um, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Senator Harkin says that uh, that his brother was presented with three career choices. You could be a baker, you could be a printer's assistant, and I can't remember the third one. The brother said, I don't want any of those. So they said, well, okay, you're, you'll be a baker. I guess that illustrates, and we've come a long way, hopefully, but that uh, illustrates the thinking, at least at that time. Well, and I think what you just said, the thinking in that time, part of the, part of the problems are, are, real, are physical, are environmental, but a large part of, the, of what we still face today is attitudinal. There's still a feeling in society that if you see someone with a disability, you either are a little bit anxious about them or perhaps you feel sorry for them or you see them as heroic for getting out and trying to do something. What we want to convey is that people with disabilities are just, first of all, people. The disability is there. It will provide some problems. Most of us have problems and barriers we face. Um, but it isn't the person, and we want individuals with disabilities to be part of society, not kind of on the fringes. And as I said before, employment remains um, a tremendous challenge as you, uh, based on the numbers that you, know, that you were quoting. And part of that is the, the belief that some people have that if you have a disability, how could you possibly be an effective employee? And we certainly have lots and lots of examples to show that that's a misconception. Let me turn back to Gordon Richens, uh, and I want to ask Owen to follow up with something that Dr. Holt just said. Um, it, it, we talked before about people who perhaps see you with pity. I guess the other the other side of that might seem a positive, but maybe not. People who see you as a hero. Do you, do you, <laughs> and I don't know, how do you feel about that? Well, I wouldn't consider myself a hero in any matter, but... Uh, I am a, I, I was a farmer, a dairy farmer, previously to acquiring my disability. And, you know, and I, uh, I'm kind of a direct person. You know, either you're going to get it done or you're not going to get it done. Uh, you know, and, and I'm able to accomplish things. So, the, like Dr. Old mentioned, the perception that the community, not all the community, but you know, segments of the community still feel, uh, you know, individuals with significant disability like myself, you know, uh, 
aren't capable of X, Y, Z, you know, which is, you know, just a misconception. Mm. Let me opportunities uh, that the ADA has opened up for us. Uh, you know, I ride the bus, uh, I fly on airplane, I travel uh, on cruises, you know. Uh, I've enjoyed life, you know, just like any other individual would. But I owe a lot of that to my supportive wife. Mm, yeah. Without her help, uh, you know, my quality of life wouldn't be, you know, as, uh, you know, as good as it is. And also do CPD, you know, having to have an employment, you know, employment vital to any individual, regardless of what uh, segment of the society they come from. So, Gordon Richards, I'd like to follow up with employment with you. Um, when when you became disabled, what what were your thoughts? How am I going to make a living? What uh, I'm sure you thought about that. Oh, I, I had nightmare thoughts. Uh, that roller coaster with uh, the depression dragon, uh, you know, just wasn't fun. My wife and I, you know, we were on the farm. We didn't know what to do. And um, young women knocked on our door. Um, from Social Security and sat down with us and said, well, these are opportunities, you know, that you can take advantage of. And one of them was through a, a vocational rehabilitation federal program that uh, allowed me to go to school. And, you know, I'd never wanted to go to college, but uh, it didn't take me two seconds to say, you know, I can, I can do that. You know, it's got to be better than the young and the restless, which was what was on TV because we didn't have cable. Didn't have cable back then, so. The uh, social programs, you know, have made great strides. Uh, the ADA, one of them, you know, that it helps us uh, enjoy life just like anyone else. Uh, let's uh, go next to uh, a caller. Uh, Keith has called us from St. George. Keith, glad you called. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I just barely turned this on, so, but I, uh, I really appreciate that this act was passed. I had a, a, a smashed knee, and it wasn't for the programs like the handicapped carts in the grocery stores. I'd be in real trouble. And uh, one of the local stores I do shop at is uh, staffed by young people, and uh, the last two times I went, their handicapped carts have been out. And so rather than, you know, I just left. But what I do now is it costs me $3 to drive anywhere for gas. So if I have like a store like that where I buy things from, I just go ahead and order it online because effectively I save myself the time. And the stores who uh, aren't handicap accessible or not friendly, I just don't deal with them. I can get my items somewhere else. So you're voting with your dollars there. What's that? You're voting with your dollars there. You're. That's right. Right. You know, yeah. a store that's staffed by young people, and I remember me when I was young, you thought you were invincible, never were going to get old, and I still feel that way, but somehow I got old and not invincible. So I really appreciate all the handicap items that are available in our society today. All right. Well, thank you, Keith. Appreciate that. All right. Bye. Do Dr. Holt, you wanted to... Well, you brought up, he, uh, the gentleman brought up a really good point, and that is um, earlier you gave the statistics about 
20% of the population would be people with disabilities. Some people are born with disabilities. Some acquire them in childhood or as Gordon did as, a, as an adult. But everyone will have a disability if they live long enough. That's just the nature of life. So disability is kind of an equal opportunity mm. um, concept. It's not just for a certain segment of society. And I think as a disability community and the aging community have found common goals to work on, it strengthened our ability to advocate for, for the services and supports that all of the groups need. We're talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, passed in 1990, it's 25th anniversary year, and we're looking to the past, we're looking to the to the present and future as well of the uh, disability rights uh, movement, and we'd love to hear your story and uh, and how you've been affected, and uh, maybe what barriers you face, what experiences you've had. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or you can reach us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Let me turn back to Sachin Pavathran. Uh, in, in that op-ed piece, you bring up uh, some, some interesting points. Um, you say that the ADA was a good starting point and that people with disabilities are more visible in the community, but there are loopholes. What are, what are some of the loopholes? Well, with any law that's been passed, there's going to be ways that people find to get around it. And same with the ADA. One of the sections under the ADA talks of the employment title. One of the ADA talks about equal access for people with disabilities to have employment you know, opportunities. But has that completely uh, guaranteed opportunities uh, for people with disabilities? The answer is no, because employers have found ways to work around um, the ADA law by, you know, not necessarily uh, cheating the system, but finding excuses or finding loopholes so that they don't have to hire uh, someone with a disability because uh, claiming it would be a a huge burden for the company or just not really paying attention to the you know the capability of the person so it's it, it's a good law but loopholes do exist and those loopholes are very uh, visible for people who want to take advantage of it mm-hmm. and then uh, you also talk about physical access as a work in progress then you go on to talk about equal access to information uh, there are now, pro- problems there, I guess. Uh, uh, for, uh, for me, uh, for someone who is blind, for example, for accessing, you know, who wants to go get a higher education, when you attend a university and you walk into a classroom and the instructor gives you materials that I can't access, for example, I use a specialized software that reads everything on the computer to me. Now, that, that works only if the people who are creating the documents have taken the measures to make it, you know, w- uh, that that it'll work with the software that I use. It's not it's not rocket science. It's it's very doable. It's just um, you know lack of awareness sometimes that they have to have those in place. A bit uh, the bigger problem being universities as a whole not having policies in place that ensures equal access for people with disabilities. So someone with a disability. What, applying to a university and getting in, they have to wait for the information, whether they're textbooks or whether any materials that they need in class. And a lot of times, students end up dropping out because they get too far behind to catch up 
that they can't really meet the goals of mm. what the university has to offer. And again, it comes down to universities not having policies in place so that they really welcome people with disabilities. Physical access, universities have done a lot, much better job uh, because that's, you know, that's more visible now. But the access to information and instructional materials is still a huge barrier for a lot of students. So I guess technology cuts both ways. I did, you know, Techno- must have, you know technology yeah. should be an answer, but unfortunately, technology also has created barriers. Mm-hmm. And there is there are solutions. There's, it's not that we don't have solutions to it. There are solutions. It's just universities need to champion that and say this is how we're going to do it. We are going to make our doors open to everybody. And unfortunately, they haven't done it yet. So with your your work on the Access Board, uh, you uh, I don't know how deeply you're immersed in politics, but I wonder if there's if there's any pushback. People say, okay, you know, ADA great, who made great strides, but uh, some of these measures are just too expensive and they're a burden on small business. And you know, I could I could hear some of these arguments being made, probably discreetly. Those pushbacks exist, and it still keeps growing. Uh, the reality is, when you entertain equal access, it it increases, you know, it expands the market and gives more opportunities for them to, you know, take advantage of the market that has not been, you know, they haven't reached in the past. The reality is people with disabilities, like Gordon mentioned and like Dr. Holt mentioned, it's people with disabilities, yes, it's a small population, but we all eventually are going to use some level of those services down the road, not just because you became this, not because you got a disability, but just the conveniences that you get because of some of the access provides for the general population. You know, having curb cuts or ramps to a stores or all those kind of things. It's not just people in wheelchairs who are using it. The general population are using a lot of it. In the same way, a lot of the advances that happens with equal access the general population does start using it. They just don't realize they're using it. They don't realize it's, you know, this came about because, you know, there were a group of people who really fought for civil rights and wanted equal access because they have a disability. But it's, yes, there's pushback, but once they realize how it really benefits the population at large, they tend to, you know, back off a little bit. Let's take another break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'll, uh, I'll mention Heather Humphreys, another, another person who is quoted on the CPD uh, website, uh, telling what the ADA means to her. She's a parent advocate. She says, I'm grateful for the Americans with Disabilities Act that promotes accessibility and opportunities to those with disabilities. My children are younger. Their needs have been mostly met by IEPs. However, the looming realization that they're going to age out of those options makes it more important to know that there will still be ways for them to be integrated into society. Talk about that, and uh, we'll talk about other issues related to Americans with Disabilities on the 25th anniversary this year of the passage of that uh, important act. More following break. The question you'd most like to ask the most powerful politician, the most innovative scientist, the most talented musician, is the kind of question here and now puts to those very people. Your curiosity is our curiosity. Here and Now gets the answers, and we share them with you every weekday. Join us for Here and Now on Utah Public Radio. 
Stay tuned for Here and Now from NPR, coming this morning at 10 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. It was July of 1990 when President George H.W. Bush signed into law the Americans with Disabilities Act. 25 years later, we're looking back, we're looking forward as well. What are the horizons, what remains to be done? And we're talking with uh, three representatives from the Center for Persons with Disabilities at Utah State University. We're talking with Sachin uh, Pabathran, who is program director of the Utah Assistive Technology Program. He's also chairman of the uh, National U.S. Access Board, appointed by President Obama. Dr. Judith Holt is director of the Interdisciplinary Training Division at the Center for Persons with Disabilities. And Gordon Richens is consumer liaison for the Center for Persons with Disabilities at USU. I'd love to hear your story. There are some stories here on the Center for Persons with Disabilities website. You can check those out. We'd love to hear yours as well at 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. Or the email is upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com. Let me continue uh, Heather's uh, story here. This is on the CPD website, cpdusu.usu. It says, I have two children who are autistic, one of them with a comorbid uh, diagnosis that will cause her to lose her sight as she ages. There isn't a cure for the loss of sight, only things to slow the progression. I have another daughter with profound hearing loss. She's losing hearing the other ear slowly as well. The ADA gives me hope that they will be able to work a job. This opportunity positively impacts self-esteem, confidence, and the belief that they contribute to society. They're cute and hardworking, but they will need someone who is kind, patient, and committed to help them be successful. Uh, Dr. Holt, this is uh, another poignant uh, comment, looking at this through the eyes of a parent and, and hope for their, their children. It, it certainly is. And um, I think as, as a parent, our hope for our children is that they will have all, they will have the opportunities and the skills that they need to become successful adults. And that's why, in terms of the ADA, we talk a lot about access and about adults with disabilities. But the ADA has also helped frame many other questions and supports that allow us to provide um, quality services to children with disabilities. In addition to the ADA, of course, we have the um, the Individuals with Education Act that has support services in the schools for children with special needs. So it's not a single law, and as Sachin said, it's not a single law that somehow perfectly fixes everything, but it's a process of both laws and decisions and a process of changing public attitudes toward the concept of disability that are so critical in really seeing um, a future, uh, a society where there is full integration of people with disabilities. On this Google video that I made reference to earlier, there's a lady who's talking about her experiences. She applied for a job, but when they learned out that she had been in special education, she had some intellectual um, disabilities, um, she was she didn't get the job. And I, I guess, uh, you know, there's a fair number of people like that who I don't know if there's still that sort of a stigma and discrimination. Uh, there is there is stigma. There is discrimination. Um, and there are there, people do find loopholes. I can find loopholes, actually, in most any law. But on the whole, I see I see more individuals with disabilities, of varying kinds of disabilities, in society, in various settings, 
um, as colleagues at work, um, as instructors at the university, um, as employees in various businesses. And I think the more visibility we have for people with disabilities, the easier it is for others to really get a vision of, of what's possible, just like a parent has a vision for what they want for their children. Society begins to see people with disabilities as contributing members. We have an email from uh, Barbara and Roosevelt, and let me direct this to Sachin Pavathron first. Uh, Barbara says, I heard the story yesterday about the illegal segregation of students with disabilities in Georgia. I'm grateful to hear this conversation today as an extension of what the ADA has done and can do. What might be the solution for our nation's school districts that are still struggling with equal opportunity? You know, the law is just going to take it so far. You know, we have the law in the books, but like like what Dr. Hall said, like what Gordon said earlier, till we can really change people's attitude and show them that students, you know, in, in any school system can be equally uh, contributing and can participate and function without a problem, you know, with, with the accommodation that they need, if they can be put into mainstream education, that's the only thing that's going to uh, work moving forward. So changing the attitude of folks that whether you have a disability or not, they need to be mainstream educated. If that's what the students need, we should give them the opportunity. Not separating them is not going to change in people's attitude, first of all. And secondly, it's not going to give them the equal opportunity that they, you know, that they deserve. So, we have the laws, but we still need to work really hard in changing people's attitude, and that's wh- that's where we find most of the problems, especially in like these school districts that we are talking about in Georgia, because those systems really believe that the best way to treat and to educate someone is uh, with, uh, educate someone with a disability is by putting them separate in a in an isolated uh, setting that they get special treatment. So how do, how best to change those attitudes? It's, it's, it's including people with disabilities in, in everything that we do in society and community. You know, not, not including them because you feel sorry for them, including them because they are part of the society. Bringing, you know, when opportunity arises, don't ignore people with disabilities when they're at the table. Listen to what they have to vocalize and speak, you know, when they speak for their mind. And, you know, and people with disabilities also have a duty they need to speak up, and they have to uh, push themselves forward into uh, into society. Also, they can't sit back and wait for the society to bring them along. So, you know, it goes both ways. People with disabilities have the uh, duty to, you know, advocate and uh, bring themselves out into society. And people in the society have to welcome with open arms. It sounded like Dr. Holt wanted to comment on that as well. Uh, with reference to children in, in school districts, um, there are federal requirements and state requirements that the school districts must adhere to. One of the long-standing issues is the fact that the federal government has never picked up what it said would be its share of supporting those accommodations. And because um, in schools um, they are required to accept all children, regardless of the severity of the disability or the complexity. 
there there's training and there's accommodations that are needed, and some of those have price tags attached to them. And we, uh, both as a society and, and from a federal level, perhaps haven't acknowledged that um, equality sometimes needs extra effort to make it happen. Um, I think training, uh, not just a one-time training, but the, where I've seen schools really turn around is when there's ongoing training and on-site technical assistance to support the teachers to learn a new array of skills to work more effectively um, with the children in less restrictive environments. Here's another email. This is from Sarah from Logan. Uh, Sarah says, good morning. I appreciate today's guests for making listeners more aware of the issues that people with disabilities may may face regularly, things that those of us without disabilities likely take for granted. With regard to physical obstacles in our community, I would like to draw attention to the fact that there are still several areas in our community that are lacking proper sidewalks and crosswalks. Further, many people park their cars or trash cans directly in the path of sidewalks or don't remove snow from their walks. Last winter, I witnessed a neighbor fall backwards in his wheelchair as he tried to wheel himself from the sidewalk into the street to avoid a patch of deep snow. Fortunately, he wasn't hurt badly, but he easily could have been. I hope your listeners will do their part to help maintain clear paths for all pedestrians with or without disabilities and encourage public officials to incorporate wheelchair-friendly features into all future development. If features are wheelchair-friendly, they are likely easier for others to navigate with canes, companion dogs, sticks, or other assistive tools. That's Sarah from Logan. Appreciate uh, that that comment, uh, Sarah. Uh, We just have uh, a couple of minutes left. I want to uh, turn... To uh, back to uh, Gordon Richens, and uh, you're featured on this uh, CPD, uh, you know, list of comments. And um, something struck me at the end of the what you wrote: the ADA really means we can now be included, accepted for who we are, and allowed to pursue our dreams. So that uh, does mean a lot to you, Gordon Richens, the ADA. Uh, they certainly do, because. Uh, uh, I think all Americans deal with depression in some uh, some facet, you know, just in general life. And people with disabilities really struggle with depression. And once we get included and we uh, can prove, you know, that we can be a contributing part of society and be involved in XYZ, uh, that depression leaves, you know, because I, I went through that uh, scenario. and. You know, it wasn't just social programs that helped me. It was uh, family members, community members. Uh, Utah State University was very uh, accommodating to me when I went to uh, college between 1990 and 1994. Even though uh, much of the ADA wasn't, you know, really uh, known known at that time, uh, where it was just new, but they would change classrooms for me you know, where we would be in an older building here on campus and and there wouldn't be, a, you know, access, access to an upper level or the building didn't even have an elevator, et cetera, you know, just as an example. And I see, uh, I travel and I'm involved on a national level a little bit, and I see so many changes that all uh, all individuals benefit from, you know, and it was brought about by uh, actions, you know, within the Disability Americans Act, you know, in the five titles. You can go to a hotel and go swimming now, 
without having to have uh, some big, strong person pick you up out of your wheelchair and uh, carry you down into the water. You know, is, is an example of, uh, you know, how society's changing and, and perceptions are changing. Well, we're out of time. We'll leave it there. A good, good place to leave it. Uh, Gordon Richens, who is a CPD consumer advocate, has been with us. Thank you so much. And uh, we've also been joined by Dr. Judith Holt, Director of Interdisciplinary Training Division, Center for Persons with Disabilities. Thank you. And uh, Sachin Pavathran is uh, Program Director for Utah Assistive Technology Program, and he's uh, Chairman of the U.S. Access Board. Thank you to you as well. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Deseret News columnist Steve Eaton. I bought a bear this morning for $30. I'm not sure it was a smart move. I don't really know anything about bears. This is some sort of black bear that's not too big. It seems to have a mellow disposition. Doesn't bite or growl. It's friendly to strangers. I know, because I took it around and introduced it to some of our neighbors before I even brought it home. It didn't attack any of them. The surprising thing was that when I brought the bear into the house, my wife wasn't overly alarmed or angry that I'd introduced a new pet into the mix without discussing it with her first. The bear immediately started playing with our dog without eating him, which is a good sign. My wife did get upset when the bear reared up on his back legs and started to chew on a framed painting on the wall. That was when I realized that this would have to be an outdoor bear, and that since we live on a busy street with no fence in backyard, this could represent an immediate and serious challenge. The bear smelled like a bear, and I suspected if we kept it in the house, we would become like those people who have a smelly bear in their house and don't realize that their whole house has the odor de la bear because they've gotten used to it. I began to regret my decision. Life had become so complicated. That's when I suddenly woke up and realized I had forgotten to set my alarm. I then went into phase two, a mode I go into nearly every morning before completely waking up. The logic in phase two goes something like this. Oh, man, what a relief. That was probably a dream. But I better go check to see if the bear's doing any damage. This is usually followed by some irrational thought like, dream or no dream, the fact is you bought a bear and you're going to have to figure out what to do with it. The only way to do that is to go back to sleep and resolve this thing before you wake up. Usually I try to do just that, and then reality overtakes my life in the strangest ways. For example, in this case, instead of asking myself how unlikely it is that I actually bought a bear for $30, knowing nothing about bears or how to raise them, I found myself wrestling with something that seemed even more absurd in my groggy half-sleep state. How likely is it that I would spend $30 on a bear, bring it home, and not get killed by my wife for buying something that's not on the approved grocery list? In my world, we live by rules that my wife sets after she votes on them. There is, for example, an unwritten approved grocery list. You can buy milk, bread, peanut butter and strawberry jelly, and boring generic cereal with no questions asked. But if you buy fancy pants, real juice, frozen pizza, or any kind of cereal with chocolate in the title, you have a good deal of explaining to do. That explanation can't be a lie such as, Honey, I swear they're giving away this new chocolate cinnamon toast cereal with every bottle of milk you buy because my wife has an uncanny sense for recognizing grocery falsehoods. Sometimes I'm telling the truth and I still get in trouble. Like recently, I bought a six-pack of a new kind of soda that's good for you because it's made with cane sugar. It has the word life on the green can, and it was on display in the fake food healthy section of the store. 
That's the area that has the food that looks like normal food but comes in smaller, more expensive boxes and has no actual flavor. For example, I recently bought some health food Fruit Loops cereal the other day, and after eating just a few bites, I wondered if I'd accidentally wandered into the dog fake food health food section of the store. All soda is categorically off the approved list because it tastes good. So I had to explain that cane sugar is good for you because it's more expensive, the cans are green, and the cans say that life soda has fewer calories than real soda. In the end, my wife bought the sad face and plea for mercy because I've been sick for a couple of weeks with the cold flu that now mimics the symptoms of smoking for 40 years. I guess she figured if I was going to cough myself to death, I could drink green life soda. So if I had to go through all of that just to bring a six-pack into the house, how likely was she to have gone with the flow when it came to a black bear in our living room? Not very likely. Thinking along these lines brought me to the waking world where I realized that once again I was past deadline on a commentary I had to write and fill with grown-up facts for Utah Public Radio. And here you are, sucked into my world of early morning black bears and green soda. Which makes me start to wonder, how likely is Utah Public Radio to run a commentary that starts a fabricated story that slowly merges with the tale about life health soda that many people won't believe even though it's true? Oh no, maybe I'm still asleep. I better wake up. Shh, don't say anything. Dreaming or not, the fact is I submitted and recorded this very commentary and you're hearing it. Don't say anything to them. I'll go back to sleep and fix it right now. This is Steve Eaton. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Thank you for listening to Access Utah. The time now is 10 o'clock.